0: Hello everyone. Thumbs up for anyone who can hear me or would like me to be more audible. At least I want to see some faces. Anyone who can put on their video would be great. We're very excited to have this conversation. Happy to have you all here. I can still see some people joining, which is good. Um, all the panelists are ready. I can see our moderator and everyone who has joined us from the different parts of Africa or the world. Um, I just have a quick request: just type in where you're joining us from, so that we know how to address you. <laughs> um, you know, we can maybe we know your mother language, so you know, we can use Swahili. I can see Kigali, Namibia. Um, which is great, I see, where else? Only Kigali and Namibia, I'm sure we have more people. Nairobi, Nairobi, superb. Oh, wow, Lagos is really represented. Namibia, Thika, wow, okay, superb, great. Thank you so much for everyone. Please just chat where you're from so that you're able to connect with different people. Um, It's a small world, so, you know, you never know. Um, So, my name is Ida. I'm the Head of Community and Ecosystems for CC Hub, and it's a pleasure to have you all here for this amazing conversation. Um, It's a long overdue conversation, but we figured this would be the best time to have it, as it's the end of the year. Um, We've done remarkable work within the space. We've seen amazing solutions that have been made throughout the year and beyond. I know a lot of EdTech solutions were created due to COVID, but even with that, we've seen so much that has happened and everything that has escalated uh, during this time. So thank you so much for joining us today. So some um, housekeeping rules. Please use your chat box. Um, I know we all have some conversations, um, some questions that are going to pop up as the conversation is going on. So make use of the chat box. The moderator and anyone behind the scenes will be able to pick up that and answer your question. Um, number two, if you really do need to unmute, raise up your hand so that we can ask, so that you can be able to um, interact with the moderator and the panelists as well. Um, just to note, this record, this uh, um, Session is being recorded. Um, so please just make note. Make sure that you note that. And we're also going to post this throughout our social media pages. Um, that is just a decla- disclaimer. Um, I want to introduce our amazing moderator and managing partner for CC Hub, Nisi Mandu, who is going to moderate this session. And she's an expert within the space. She's been within the space for a long time. And we are so excited to have her here. So Nisi, this is you now. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Aida. Hello, everyone. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, depending on what part of the world that you are joining us from. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And as Aida said, I think I'm so excited that we're finally having this conversation. Education and edtech is a pillar that is very, very close to our hearts at, at CC Hub, and one that will continually be close to our hearts even as we continue to do this work that we do. Um, for those of us that might not know, CC Hub is start of co-creation hub. And we describe ourselves as Africa's largest innovation center. And our focus is on accelerating innovation and shared capital to drive economic prosperity on the continent. And our tool of choice is technology. We've been doing work in education for over 10 years now. And when we started out, interestingly, I think We like to describe a particular phrase that drives all of the work that we do when it comes to education. And that phrase is how do we raise the next generation of highly innovative thinkers that will solve our most pressing problems on the continent? And this phrase was coined because for us, when we look at our vision of accelerating innovation and bringing about economic prosperity on the continent, we know that we cannot do that if we do not have talented, You know, skilled, highly skilled people on the continent who are chatting this vision and working hard to realize this value in their communities, in their states and in countries across the continent. And so for us, every single thing that we do in our work in education is focused on achieving that. We started out with coding programs for kids and the goal for that was how do we get young people from a point where they're just digital consumers which means I can use the latest technology, I can use the latest software, I can use the latest devices, to the point where they're digital creators, where they start to talk about the fact that they can themselves create these technologies. Um, And from there, we started to realize that you cannot talk about innovation or accelerating innovation without sciences. And when I talk about sciences, I mean the pure sciences, because science is the bedrock of innovation. So that led us into you know, starting to focus on how can we make science learning very fun. I don't know how many of us can remember learning the sciences or even maths in school, in any of the countries I went to school. Again, there was this thing that made it look like it was complicated for me in the time when I went to school. It looked like the smartest students were the ones who went to the science classes. And then every other person can go to any other class, like social sciences or But we wanted to really demystify the sciences and make it really fun and exciting, and again, leverage technology for that work.
2: And that led us to a
1: systematic approach to STEM education. First bit was around interactive and engaging content. So how do we bring about exciting digital learning resources that actually help make science or STEM learning come alive? The second bit was, how do we promote innovative teaching methods? It's one thing to have a great tool, but then If the way that tool is taught to you, or concept is taught to you, is not great, then you miss out on everything. And then the last bit is the teachers. And so all of this work was stuff that we put together and started working STEM education. From there, it's grown to where we have it now, the communities, our teachers' lounge, our STEM cafes, our spaces, um, and EdTech Center of Excellence in the foremost university in Nigeria, to right now where we have an acceleration program supporting EdTech startups in Nigeria and Kenya. And in the next three years, CC Hub will have in its portfolio about 100 EdTech startups. I'm basically saying that we believe that this EdTech is a powerful tool that can improve the quality of education on the continent. And as an organization, we are leading the conversation and raising our hands up and doing the hard work to see, one, the continent have amazing EdTech solutions, two, seeing effective adoption for those solutions, and three, driving this at scale so that we can see learning outcomes. So in a nutshell, that is what we've been doing in education. That's why we're so excited to have this conversation here today. And I would like to introduce a few of our panelists, or not a few, our speakers on, that we have here with us today. I think I heard it. Aida, are you trying to say something before I go along? No, no,
0: no, 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 Please. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I will introduce the panelists and talk a bit about our theme today. Our first panelist that I'll be introducing is Sablona David. He is the CEO and executive officer for Blowdown in Namibia. Welcome, Seblona. Please, everyone, put your hands together. You can, you know, welcome him or use the emojis for capping. Sebulon. Apologies, Sebulon. I think the document I was looking at put an A after your name, Sebulon David. You're most welcome. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us. Secondly, I'd like to welcome Dr. Chika Yinka Banjo. Dr. Chika Yinka Banjo is an Associate Professor at the University of Lagos in Nigeria. Dr. Chika, you are most welcome. Please put your hands together and just make her welcome using the emoji, okay? And finally, we have—I'm quite excited about this one. Um, Kiko Mo. Well, Kiko is the CEO/slash founder of Angaza Elimu, and Angaza Elimu is one of the AirTech startups in our portfolio from the first cohort of the Mastercard Foundation AirTech Fellowship Program in Kenya. Welcome, Kiko. It's a pleasure to have you here. Let's also make Iko welcome. Okay, great. So before I start throwing my questions out to the panelists, just a quick one. I know that when we talk about edtech and the beauty of technology and its ability to transform transform education on the continent, a lot of people have tons and tons and tons of questions and concerns. And these questions and concerns are very, very valid. As a matter of fact, I do not think that anybody who is building in the edtech space who doesn't take into consideration these realities is actually ready to build a business or see that business grow and become successful. Questions like, not everybody has access to internet, so how are you going to reach those who do not have access to it? Well, some people do have access to internet and they have access to smartphones as well but then data is so expensive. How are they going to be able to pay for the internet or the data that they need to be able to consume this content? There are questions around, well, it's great with your smartphone and the devices and technology and everything. There are people who do not have digital literacy skills. How are you going to get them to understand how to use technology first before they even start to engage with your resources? And so all of these things raise huge concerns when it comes to adoption of ed tech for or learning across the spectrum. And, and, I'm just, and I'm not just talking about early childhood, right? I'm talking about all the way from nursery school to even tertiary corporate learning, formal, informal skills. These challenges exist. However, what we're saying is that there are opportunities to build amidst these challenges. And those are things that we'll be discussing here today. There's a terminology that has been used to describe a lot of these barriers that prevents people from effectively adopting and taking advantage of edtech, and it's called edtech elitism. I know that for all of us on the call here, one way or another, you have um, you, you have or you know challenges that arise when it has to do with adopting edtech or adopting technology. I would like you to type some of that in the chat section or even questions that you might have about these challenges that I might also pose to our speakers as we kick off with the panel session. And so we're looking to have this conversation here today and say, as much as possible, we know that these challenges exist. How do we, in spite of these challenges, still build formidable solutions that can help to ensure improved learning outcomes across the continent, such that we're able to take advantage of Africa's bulging youth population, and empower them to be able to create the value that we anticipate for them to create on the continent today. So without further ado, we will go straight into the panel session. Uh, Sebulon, welcome. Maybe you'll mute your mic and say every hello to everybody. Uh, well,
3: thank you, thank you. Um, and and um, uh, a pleasure to be here and looking forward to that discussion. And uh, welcome everyone.
1: Great, thank you so much, Sebulon. Dr. Chika, if you can unmute your mic and say hello to everybody. Is Dr. Chika on the call yet?
0: Um, unfortunately, no, Nisi. I think oh, we can't discuss okay.
1: That's fine.
0: Kiko?
4: Uh, greetings, everyone. I'm really excited to be on this session and looking forward to an engaging conversation. Thank you. Nice meeting you all.
1: Perfect, thank you so much. So we're going to go straight into it. And my first question is around the challenges, right? I know that, and in your countries as well, it's beautiful that we have a a very interesting representation, whether in Kenya or in Namibia. I recall that um, about 10, 15 years back when everybody started talking about ICT, ICT, and adopting that and ensuring that people had the skills, a lot of what our government did was to you know, set up computer labs in schools. But then we began to find that these computer labs would be under lock and key, you know, because the teachers don't have the skills to use it, or perhaps there's no power, you know, and in some cases, the even though there's internet conne- connection there or accessibility, the connection is so wonky, you know, it's so slow. I remember a few weeks back we were having a roundtable with some stakeholders, and a particular teacher said we actually have you know edtech solutions in our schools and our schools make us make, make us use it however sometimes when we need to upload certain things on it it's so the internet is so slow and it's so frustrating so we just dump it and go back to our usual paper and pen methodology and this just highlights one of the myriad of challenges when it has to do with providing quality education or even adopting edtech for teaching and learning So I want to hear from you, I will start with you, Sebulon. From your own experience from within Namibia, what would you say are the challenges that has to, critical challenges that affect um, the process of delivering quality education to young people across the country? And what are extra challenges that you might add as well when it has to do, when you layer technology on top of that?
3: Right. Thank you so much for the question, Uh, um, Yes. um, I'd say, really, that you know, when it comes to challenges, and it's really uh, something that is cutting across many different uh, countries, um, is that we have a, a challenge of, of, of digital infrastructure is really one of the you know uh, one of the biggest in the in in, in the in the country. Um, you know, these inequalities when it comes to schools that are in urban areas usually they they are more equipped than than the ones in the rural areas. But then you ought to also find some schools that are in the in the urban areas as well, that are really um, not having infrastructures, for example. Um, so yeah, digital infrastructure is really one of the, 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 the challenges. But then we've also uh, realized and learned that uh, there are challenges when it comes to uh, digital skills. Uh, most of the educators and teachers do not really have the necessary skills for them to integrate ICT into their teaching and learning and and, and all that. So the school might have infrastructures, but then you'd still find uh, teachers using uh, the traditional methods, for example. Um, And that's really, gets to to, to, to whether they can think of a technology first when they are faced with a challenge in the classroom, or they see that the learners, for example, are having difficulties in understanding uh, certain parts of of the curriculum, for example. And 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 on the larger scale, we see uh, uh, a lot of challenges around the ecosystem. Uh, the ecosystem, uh, the ecosystem is, is is quite fragmented in the, such a way that there's a lot of silos, um, and there is a need for consolidations of these um, uh, multiple uh, silo projects and so on. And there is no continuation usually. Um, you know, on, on projects once they phase out or a certain legacy project, for example, and technology that was put in schools, phase out, for example, there's no really continuation and the maintenance of uh, devices in schools and so on. Just, just to mention a few, uh, that, that that's uh, what, uh, uh, it's at the top of my, my, my mind right now.
1: Thank you so much, everyone I think I, it's quite interesting because that also resonates with me and what we're seeing in in you know, in education and in air tech in Nigeria. Just before I come to you, Kiko, something that I wanted to highlight, and that's to what you said about digital literacy, because I think that the bit around digital literacy is something that people underestimate how important it is when it has to do with people being able to effectively use your solutions. Um, And so we're implementing a program in a state in Nigeria for teachers, training teachers on how to use a certain software. and. Um, I remember saying to the team, when they were creating like a step-by-step with screenshots of, you know, how to do certain things on the and So I said, you need to break this down a lot more because it's going to be too difficult. And they couldn't understand why that would be so difficult, right? Until we get to this stage and we get to a hundred teachers in the room. Now all these teachers had really, really great smartphones, right? And so we said, oh, go to Play Store. Most of them were Android phones as, as might be the case in Kenya and Namibia. When you know a lot more people are using Android phones than iPhones, at least, especially when you start to go, you know, down the, the socioeconomic um, pyramid. And so um, we say, go to Play Store, and they're like, what is that? You know, we're like, we go into their Play Store, um, not even their Play Store. We go on their phone, we see that they have apps on the phone, but we go to their Play Store and find out that the Play Store is not set up. And it was a bit of a confusion. How do you have apps on your phone when your Play Store is not set? Up, right. And so we found that there's a system within the state whereby when you buy a new phone, you go to these people and they give you all of the apps that you need, or they send it via Zenda. It's this app that you can use to transfer apps, right? And so that's what they knew. So imagine an edtech startup has a solution for mm-hmm. teachers. And then you're saying, teachers, download this app on the Play Store, set it up and all that. You've completely lost them because that's not how they're used to accessing apps. And so I just wanted to tell that story to highlight how important digital literacy is. Kiko, please, can you share from your own experience in meeting Kenya, challenges with providing quality education and then extra challenges that present itself when you layer technology on that? Um,
4: thank, thank you, Nelsi. And, and David, you really shared quite critical points in terms of um, infrastructure, which is no-brainer. I think all countries in Africa are facing the same solutions. But when you go up and beyond the infrastructure challenge is, I would really put in solutions that are assisting, especially on the point of educators, to, to teach better, to better intervene for, uh, for their students. Because most of these teachers are seeing um, these solutions that are being put in classrooms as kind of like an enemy towards what they do or... Tools that are actually putting more work and duplicating what they actually they actually doing, and, and there is very little education to teachers to really give them the assurance that this tool is actually going to be your companion to assist what you are uh, what you actually doing, and and that's why we're seen quite not a good motivation from these teachers for them to have good adoption adoption rates. I mean, they'll probably be using these tools. Uh, they probably be excited for the first three months, and then they go back. and We saw that during the COVID time, um, the teachers were using all these um, solutions when schools were closed. But when the schools opened, they went back to the normal teaching um, and learning. and And typically, is because really there is no much evidence um, to the schools to show that these tools will actually move the needle um, to support support learning and teaching. and Basically. Um, these tools actually put in more work uh, for them so that they're actually spending more time on the tools rather than what they actually be, uh, be doing. So kind of like really creating a lot of inefficiencies um, in the classrooms. And that's what actually, if a teacher finds a thing that's actually putting more work or giving them more more to work on, then it's it's always a switch off for them. Um, and, and that's really uh, why we've seen not really good adoption rates um and then because I think also most of these tools are focused more in terms of access to resources. If, if typically and usually give an example, if what you find on a textbook is what you find in on converted as e-learning content, no one is gonna be excited by that. because um, you're spending money. I think Missy talked about connectivity being expensive, the devices and, and, and all that. So Ultimately the teacher would say, what is the quickest way for me to get these these resources, resources out there? So I think it's the calling for more rethinking what does actually ed tech mean more for, for our classrooms, for, for our educators, um, who are actually the biggest ambassadors to uh, push for these tech um, solutions to um, solve the challenges that we've seen in the in the classrooms. Yes.
1: Ah, the beauty of technology, right? I think the host had, had prevented everybody from unmuting themselves and included me in that list. So I was struggling with that there, apologies for that. So, actually, thank you, Kiko. I think that you've touched on key things that I want us to have a conversation on as well moving on. And um, please to those in the audience, feel free to type in the chat section, what other challenges um, do you, or have you experienced when it comes to um, edtech and and its adoption. And also if you have any questions read this for the panelists, please feel free to ask. Now, my question is for those of us who are building in edtech, building edtech solutions, right? You mentioned a few things Kiko and Sebulon you mentioned a few things as well. You've highlighted what those challenges are, right? Whether it has to do with infrastructure or it has to do with accessibility or affordability or even digital literacy skills. Now, a lot of times, and also what Kiko said, and I often say to people, when it has to do with education or ed tech, the tech is beautiful, it's exciting, but it's not only about the technology. The education component of it is actually a very strong component. And so if you just take a textbook, and you just put it in a text format or a PDF version, and that's all you're offering, and you call it this nice, shiny air tech, then there's no, there isn't a lot of value that you're providing. Now, my question is, how can we ensure that those who are building air tech solutions are not building their solutions in silos, are not building their solutions based off of what they think the market needs, but are actually connecting to the realities on ground, are actually connecting to the stakeholders who would use the solutions and co-creating with them. Because so that what happens is that one, we're able to see effective solutions that lead to learning outcomes, and we're able to see a rapid adoption of these solutions as well at scale. So I'll, I'll start with you, Sebulon. You know, why? how can we work together at tech solution builders as well as those in the ecosystem? And also, what are some of the ways in which you know, from your experience, that solution builders, so etech founders, etech startups, can address some of these challenges we've talked about to be able to have solutions that meet the needs of our target audience on the internet.
3: Right. Um. I uh, Thank. Thanks for the for the for the question. Um. I'd say really that that there is a uh, a need for the um for 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 building. Uh, ecosystems that, that really allows um, uh, both the academia, the, you know, the government and and the industry to to work together is the only way that these solutions can be sustainable. And, and also for edtech to be seen as an industry that can really create uh, jobs, especially with these high unemployment rate among the youth and so on, uh, while creating solutions that work and so on. Um, and and, and on, on the other side is that um, it's, it's, it's really important for educators to be involved in the, in, in the process of designing these solutions, because they are the experts, they experiment all these, uh, they experience these uh, challenges that, uh, you know, uh, hands-on with, you know, with, the, with the learners in, in, in the classrooms and so on. And if they are left out in the design process, uh, it really then, um, you know, uh, leads to a process of creating solutions that do not really work on the ground. Um, I see one of the uh, uh, you know somebody from Namibia commented uh, the challenges of Wi-Fi, and it's you know you'd find this for example a good example would be someone building a solution and then uh, it needs a high bandwidth for example and and it, you know and and these solutions it means that already you have cut off um, you know certain part of the country or or, or demographic that only certain people will be able to use these solutions and so on. So, Or even creating digital solutions that allow um, offline services, because then when you're talking to the educators and when the schools are involved in the creation, um, it it, it then allows one to then see where the uh, loopholes are. But then also to get the buy-in, because if people know that you have built that specific solution for them, then it then uh, uh, helps to create a very good uh, client base, and people then be able to contribute to the sustainability of the of the solutions um, and, and and so forth. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Sevlon. Really key things you've highlighted. That I'll have Kiko um, share his own thoughts, and then I will share some things trying together, Kiko. Um.
4: So. So for me, I would say we really need to have evidence-based products um that are being built um what what I mean by that we really need to understand from a point of practice um uh, what are educators really looking for what are students really looking for what what is really excites them what their behavior what really determines teaching and learning and 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 also really rely a lot on on, on research and this could even be great literature not just even, um in in the continent alone but where other products have proved to um to actually work and and for developers to rely on these evidence to actually inform um innovation of of their products so that you're not actually building a product out of your own assumption or out of your oh these are an exciting feature that i think students would like but in practice then it's totally a big mess uh, for them or it's actually not really 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 serves them and, and 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 in the context of of the African continent, I think we we a we are a bit slow to provide these evidence um, I mean totally a lot of people think that this evidence is in the hands of the government, uh, but then again the government only looks much more into terms of uh, policy and we've seen some of them actually directing policy on terms of uh what do these products need to needs to look like but it's it's just a very minute, um, direction of what um, good tech products would look like, so it calls upon for different players to um, really, actually, I think in, in the ecosystem for them to contribute to what really they think would be good insights and action points for them to guide uh, product development, or usually called user user experience for, for for especially for the educators and um, and the learners, and and then we, when developers are able to leverage on that evidence, then I believe we can actually convert that to uh, good working solutions that will actually get to the point point um, of everyone being being involved. And it's not just even for um, the educators alone or the learners. they are different players, the education ecosystem is quite intertwined by different players who direct how it's going. This could even be developers of content um, in other countries where we see the government being the referee in terms of how content guidelines should um should look like. So these evidence could actually inform what that good content, as had talked about, would look like in these um in, in this platform. So and, and until we really have that good evidence to inform that, then we'll still keep seeing products come, stay in the market for two years, then they flop, Products come, and, and really there is no good movement or improvement in terms of changing the learning, the learning outcomes.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Kiko, and thank you so much. A few things that you both mentioned, but I think it's very instrumental. um, The part that edtech builders need to build along with the experts in the education space. And the goal of this is not just to have solutions that are really tailored to their needs, but that also these solutions, we can begin to gather evidence of what works so that we can then scale, you know, those solutions that work. Now, a lot of edtech founders that we've spoken to often talk about the fact that it's so difficult to even get to the point where you get experts in the education space who are willing to work with you. because there's so many gatekeepers. Before I find a group of teachers who are able to say, you know what, I'm happy to build with you, or the government gives me this access, you know, to teachers or to schools with students to test with and begin to create evidence, it's really difficult. And it's part of why they just build what they think Works and start to find ways to push it and so I think just to highlight that is the reason is a, is a huge part that's you know key ecosystem players like CC hub the work that we're doing is saying as we speak to these stakeholders how do we begin to create opportunities for test beds and pilots for air tech solutions to be able to generate evidence and to be able to co-create and build along with you know these key stakeholders something else to sort to what celon uh, had said around, if you build solutions that require, you know, high bandwidth, then you've already missed out a huge part of the market. Are things also that we noticed in Nigeria and you find across the board? I recall um, same thing uh, because as much as possible, when you look at the data, you would see that a lot of people there's a huge smartphone penetration and internet penetration, and a lot of these smartphones are such of low end. Android phones, you find that this low-end Android phones do not have enough space on it. So if your app by itself you know, is quite bulky, it's quite heavy, the tendency that they're not going to be, they're not even going to have space on that app, except it's an absolutely important thing for them or somebody is making them do it, the chances are very high, right? So that means how do we start looking at browser-enabled solutions? But even then, browser-enabled solutions also come with their own, you know, uh, what's it called? Challenges. So it's difficult to send notifications easily. You know, you have to go through their emails or text messages. How do you integrate that system beautifully such that, you know, they can access it easily. You know, all of those things exist. The other bit as well is around bandwidth. I remember speaking to a founder in Ghana and he was building games. And he said to me, you know what, first off, he, he noticed that, you know, they could see downloads on the Play Store. And after a while, you know, when they push out updates, They weren't getting the same number, you know, having, updating the apps. And then he found out that they were sending the apps to themselves via Zenda. You can imagine my shock when I was like, they do that as well in Ghana? We found that they do it in Nigeria. And then he said that another interesting bit was that they started getting text messages or reviews and when people say, you, you know, you finished my data. You finished my bandwidth. You didn't tell me that your game was going to be so heavy to consume. Like all of their reviews on Play Store <laughs> had that, and that was also again something that they didn't think they would need to provide that information and training and communication to people, or that they even had to take into consideration how important it was to their adopters or their users. You know that what they use doesn't consume as much as much data. Right. I find in Nigeria, when you go on social media now, you see people when they, you know, if, are, if there's a video, you see comments under the video. So people will say, I just wasted my data. Or if it's a long video, people will say, please speak quickly. I'm using my data to listen to you and things like that. It means that it's quite important. Um, and when people spend their money to buy that, they're absolutely thinking, how can we ensure that we're able to use it effectively? And those are things that um, builders need to take into consideration. So thank you so much for highlighting that. Finally, um, we're so excited to, that she's able to join us. We have our third panelist on the call, Dr. Chika Yinka-Banjo. Dr. Chika, you're welcome. You can unmute yourself. Yes. Thank you. There. Are you having me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Great. So happy to have you here. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so um, it just going into the next, you know, question. There's a lot of bars when it has to do with you know, AI. Already, we're talking about um, before we even go to the to the AI bit. Actually, there's a when we talk about you know um, edtech and getting young children learning online. I remember that COVID was a huge, huge um, moment for education and edtech because everybody quickly realised that if we're going to ensure that you know, children are learning regardless of what might happen wherever they are, then we need to adopt edtech. But like you mentioned, Kipo, after COVID, it seems like we just went back to the status quo. And I also read, I remember reading about you know, India and seeing that a lot of parents who were adopting edtech solutions during COVID, really COVID ended, they preferred you know, face-to-face teaching um, and learning for their kids. So they were no longer paying for subscriptions for the edtech solution. And instead, they were sending their children back to you know physical classes and after-school lessons lessons in person. Now, with all of the clamoring for you know technology-enabled learning, I hear us when we say most of it has to be offline because we do have those who you know are offline, and we need to ensure that they have access as well. But for even the online solutions. Find that a lot of parents as well might be concerned about safety, you know, for children, especially minors who are accessing it. And how do we begin to ensure that we are designing the solutions to ensure that the young that the children are safe online as they as they access the solutions? And that we're also able to have parents comfortable enough. I remember a teacher saying to me in one of the roundtables that when they wanted parents to, um, they were adopting a few tech solutions and they wanted their children, um, they, they wanted the students in the school to use it. And the parents were like, "What are they using it for? It has to do with anything on the computer or on the phone. It's only games. It's nothing serious. So we don't want that. Plus, you know, I don't think my children will be safe on that platform. And there's also debate around how much of you know, technology could, should children be exposed to, should we restrict that access, especially because of the negative impacts that you know screen time can have on children in their developing stage. So I just wanted to hear our thoughts. What are the thoughts around building solutions um, that, are, that are safe for children, but also being able to maximize the benefits of online learning and being able to keep stakeholders who are concerned about the negative bit at rest with this. Doctor
5: Chika, perhaps you can start from you. Just your thoughts um, around around that bit. Yeah, thank you so much, Nisi. I'm I'm happy to join. I'm in the car, so just be here with me. No worries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I I I think I understand what you're talking about. The concerns. There are different things you have mentioned. You mentioned concerns about ethics and children involved. You know. So. I think I'll start with children now. We we know we, we have Gen Z. Gen Z is uh, between those that are about 20, 19, 21. And we have the Gen Alpha that is lower than them, that is now using the internet, using phones, and getting a lot of distraction as well. So I noticed we are saying Gen Z people, they don't care, they always go online. The one coming after them are even more. So I will not be surprised if parents are concerned about What are what they want to reduce the screen time for their children so that they can concentrate and do the things that are normal and do things offline? So, I wouldn't be surprised if they are concerned that we have solutions. We want them to keep going to the same using the internet and using it to do some things. And when they go there, they don't want to come out. And that's the issue. So, the only thing here is there's always a balance in everything. We want to create solutions that will help them them to, to dive into technology and make a lot of impacts as they grow. Because of course, I noticed that even the Gen Z's are better off than the millennia, than the other ones before them, that when they die away, they bring the innovat- their innovative and creative minds to the table. So the ones coming uh, behind them is, are going to do better, but there's always a balance because we need to create the balance. I'm a parent here as well. So that's why I can talk from that angle that, yes, the solutions that are created, but it needs monitoring. So um, the solutions that have been created for the children to learn online, when they go there, they don't want to come down. So the only thing we can do is to put a check. The same way we watch TV, will put parental control. If there's anything when they're creating these solutions and say when this thing finishes, the systems go off or something should happen, that will, be, that, will, that will help. It will help so that parents will be so concerned about what's going on. Again, after the COVID thing happened and people went back to using, uh, going to physical training, physical physical actually has its own parts to play you can't let let the children be online all the time, so if you ask me what I can add, I would say, developers they should come to the table with the stakeholders those that are going to use these um, um, applications, use this technology and ask them questions on how do we restrict the children from being addicted, from using uh, the solutions that are built if they can Put something like a control that at the end of the day, the thing goes off and the system goes off. Then they can concentrate and do other things. That will be fine. Then, because the, there's a path to see them and teach them to physically, cannot remove that impact, no matter how COVID has tried. Because that's, you know, you, see, you feel how the children are feeling. You see the emotion, you see how it's going down. The, because then when they go online, I don't know the spirits that takes over. They don't want to come out. So. I believe the, the stakeholders, which, which are the beneficiaries, um, the parents, the children they are building for, they will, should be able to see that on the table because everything we are doing has to be responsible. Just like we are doing a responsible AI. Everything we are doing has to be responsible. So when you talk about responsible AI, you're talking about being transparent, being accountable, being fair. We need to imbibe that in EdTech. It should be responsible. It should be fair. It should be accountable. It should be transparent. Now, if we can put that responsibility in EdTech, that will bring um the what-nest, because I, I see that as a topic, that will bring the what-nest to EdTech, to all families, when it comes to children. And I don't just,
1: know if I... I don't know if I... Thank you so much, Dr. Yinka. And I, Dr. Chika, I think that what you've said actually connects us to the next bit. um, And we can tie it together very nicely, both the AI bit and just also building responsibly. Right? Because someone had put in the chat section about leveraging behavioral sciences uh, in adopting yeah. in designing the solutions. And then when you do that, there are chances that you could start to get to levels where your algorithms make things so sticky. I remember somebody said um, if you play, and this is not even the level of air tech, but if you play, and it could be actually a, a bit of it, the song, you know, the starting song for, I think, is it a uh, not pepper but Coco Melon? Like, I, I remember seeing a video, and they say, when you just play that song, once a child hears it, they, they've not seen it, they just pick up and then they are running towards you, right? um And so, just to, to go on to, to Kiko and, and Sebulon, based on this conversation, is how do we ensure that we're building responsibly, especially when it has to do with minors? And in terms of cutting edge technology that ensures us, this is bringing in AI into the conversation. and. Dr. Chika, I know that that's a lot do, your primary area of research and we will come to you as well as soon as Kiko and Sebulon you know, share. How do we ensure that as we push the boundaries, leveraging cutting edge technology to build effective ed tech solutions, how do we ensure we're building responsibly? And we're putting boundaries, ethical boundaries, around what we're building um, because we know it's focusing on minors and to ensure that while we keep the outcome focused, while also putting guardrails around things that could make it harmful. So Sebilon, do we start with you and then go to Kiko and come back to Dr. Chika?
3: Right, Uh, I I think my my contribution with respect to to, to that specific question is that I think the way uh, understanding um, um, what these solutions are built for and the purpose of it is very important. And I think the way we look at digital literacy and digital skills uh, should go beyond just using the computer um and, and integrating in like for example cyber security cyber bullying and all these other uh uh issues that needs to be addressed In, in you know especially when when people are using the uh that tools the other thing also which is very important that uh, we have learned from our experiences is that there is really a great need for uh educators and parents and the, the larger community for for people to understand that there's good technology and there's bad technology we should be able to distinguish for example if the technology is not solving uh it's not it's not it's not doing what it's supposed to do or is causing more damage in society then it should not be used um, because at many a times people think that as long as the technology is then it's supposed to be used. So if it's not, if the technology is not doing what it's supposed to do, or it's causing more damage. I believe it's it's important that educators know what uh, bed is and uh, how to remove bad or not to use it um, and recommend the right policies uh, to have the right policies in place so that you know some of these can be um uh, can can be filtered out because not everything can be coded onto the apps and so on but some things have to be done out of you know um uh, out of the technology itself um the other thing that i think is very important is um you know creating platforms uh forums like summit, summits and uh, in symposiums that allows educators and the you know the the industries and and, and so on to have discussions around these solutions and and, and even the concerns uh that the you know the 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 customers uh, the education customers or the the, the builders uh, are having for example both on site to create win win situation but also creating a conducive uh, environment and the right society and now the the other thing that I think we, which is also worth sharing um, um, is that uh, like for example in Namibia we we have realized that there is a need uh, for schools to create for example ICT committees uh, within the school environment, selecting a group of teachers, for example, to then be the one that are looking and, and you know, and experimenting with some of these technologies to see uh, whether it's, 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 you know, is adding value to the, uh, to the school's operations and things like that. And we see that it works very, very, very well um, because it then helps the, 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 the management to have uh, sort of uh, this specialized team focusing on, on, on looking at uh, possible solutions and what uh, should be done obviously also at the school is, is very important just similar to what was uh, highlighted already parental control is also very important to, uh, for a school to have admin control uh in these uh, in the labs and things like that so so that some of these uh, you know uh, bad content should not uh, you know uh, not to reach the you know the the, the children and so on uh, thank you
1: thank you so much I mean, I think the very important points that you've raised there and connect strongly to what we're saying around digitally Tracy as well, because the moment we, we begin to empower the key stakeholders to understand what is safe and what is not safe, they themselves are then better able to sift through that. But I really like the idea of the ICT committee being sort of the first level of review of resources that children and, you know, teachers would use to ensure that they meet the needs and that their safety and guard rules put in place, as well as highlighting community for that conversation and to drive it strongly. Kiko, your thoughts on this?
4: Um, so we we live in an era where there's a lot of conversation that is mentioned about the buzz of AI, where we've moved away from human generated content to AI generated content. And as we said, kids are not actually coming to these platforms because of the platform, but because of the content that is being is being put there. And Africa, we are very strong in terms of like our ethics, our culture, and these things that we should watch out that these are not eroded. And we've seen a lot of this generated content from from these large language models not being localized. So there's a lot; these models are not trained on our local content. They've been trained by across different um, socioeconomic sectors and um, other uh, other backgrounds. And it's kind of really like I mean, at the other time, because we, we actually doing a lot of generative AI content, and that some of the outputs that we do look doesn't really match with what our beliefs. Um, as Kenyans, and then as large uh, African context um, looks like, so I think it's quite huge for us to be on the watch out um, in terms of this content really being uh, free from biases, especially on what our ethics are, what especially our agendas are, um, so that really we bring up kids who are actually um, getting good content that really informs who future parents or future leaders we wanna have um, as a continent look like. So there's that bit of really a lot of um, human validation that needs to be done uh, for this uh, generated content by, by AI. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Kiko. Absolutely. I mean, in talking about building responsibly, especially as we start to adopt these emerging technologies or adopt AI in education, that ensuring the bit of ensuring that how the, 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 the system is trained and the type of data that I use is localized to ensure that it reflects you know, our own um, unique needs and um, things that are relatable to remove whatsoever biases that might exist. I have one last question and I'm going to tie it together. And this question, basically, we've already started talking about AI and it's with AI and what we see as the future in terms of tech. I won't call it tech disruptions per se, but how we think tech can be leveraged to transform education in the future. And Dr. Ching, um, Dr. Chika, I'm going to start with you. There's this buzzword around AI, 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 and then particularly AI in education, and both its opportunities as well as its challenges. For you, and then also after Dr. Chika, we'll go on to Sebulon and Kiko. When we think about AI in education, especially within the context of Africa and the unique challenges that we have with education, what are the opportunities that we see? As well as beyond AI, other types of technology, um, when we think about the future of education on the continent, other types of technology that we think might disrupt certain aspects of our education sector and be able to create a lot more value. Before you answer, Dr. Chika, to the audience, please Putting your comments or questions in the chat, and we will come to it after uh, the panel section session, Doctor Chika. Okay,
5: yeah. So, um, well, the first one I'll go for is the uh, challenges of um, education. That's how do we use um, AI to solve some of the challenges we have in education. Now, that is a particular that, that particular question is dealing with what we are solving right now. And um, we have this uh, grant with IDRC that we should solve problems in education. And we looked at three different uh, thematic areas, that is different areas that we believe should be looking to urgently. The first one is administration. Education administration uh, is too, too manual. It's not, it's not even automated, first of all. So there are levels to these things. When you've automated some of these things in, in administration, before you now start imputing the um, artificial intelligence in it, that's one major area. Then another one is language. In Africa, we have. We know that we have a lot of languages. In Nigeria, as as a whole, we have, I can't remember the number, but I know that we have a lot, over. Two, I think it's over 200 languages, but we have the major ones, Ibo, Hausa, Yoruba we need to build our um, language system now if you if you see what what's going on in different countries that are have gone quite advanced they have their own translators that can just translate okay we, let's say we're not competing with them definitely but let's say french they have one that's french you can translate and the translator works we have um We have in different European countries where they use one language and they have worked on the language and they can do English very well and they can do the language very well. In fact, two days ago, I just came back from Uppsala, that's Sweden, and they speak English very well and they speak their language very well. They use it in teaching, they use it in learning. They are not losing the language value for their citizens. Now, why am I saying this? We have a lot. We we need to know where do we start from? to deal with our own languages. Which one are we using as, okay, case study to treat and have it work effectively before we can move to another one? Because nobody will do it for us, really. Now, so I I went for one program in Kigali and I realized that Eastern Africa are already working on Swahili. So they said Swahili is supposed to be the major language for Africa. For Africa as a whole, not just East Africa. And people in West Africa is already saying, how can? We use Swahili for the whole Africa. When we have Yoruba, and have people in some some parts of the world that speak Yoruba, There's there are over forty million people are speaking it. So it's going to be a problem in Africa. So what I what what I'm what I'm saying is that this is a major problem. Languages. How do we do our translation? How do you use like machine learning um, um techniques like natural language processing to deal trans- deal with translation? Deal with taking things to work well for us in the system. This is education system, and I think the third one. And education, sorry, administration, language, and I can't remember the third major challenge we are solving in education as, as per se. So even in language is even broad because you can still use language to teach. You can use language. to. Do. So if we just focus on language and solve that particular problem, we can reach everybody, even those that are in the areas that are not, um, not modern. I can reach out to those in the rural area. We can translate some of the textbooks for them to understand what is going on even in the modern cities. So this is one major thing that we know that AI can help us do if we, if we ask about challenges. So I can't remember the second thing you said I should talk about, but I know these are the challenges that we have, <laughs> that we can start researching on and see how we can solve them. Now, the second problem, um second topic you said I should talk on is on what, sorry?
1: I think that you've highlighted it. It was essentially saying about when it comes to do with AI and emerging technologies, so not just AI itself, all that sort of technologies that can lead to disruptions in our education space. But I think the two things you've highlighted already around, you know, administration yeah. oh, and language yes. are really, really powerful points. To yeah, thank you so yes. much. Sabina? Thank you, sir. Thank you.
3: Yeah, uh, just to add on what uh, was was already said is that I, I think for, 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 for me is just to really touch on to say if, if we see, um, like we all see that uh, AI is really disrupting education and so, and so on. But then if we don't have a digital workforce, uh, you know, as, as nations um, across the continent, we will not be able to customize the solutions to what really works for us. Um, it, you know, a good example is like if there's something in the solution that maybe we are not happy about, we'll not be able to customize it or even build our own and then also, um, uh, uh bring, uh, uh, viable solutions to, to, to the global space as well. Um, the other thing that is, that, that I also think is, 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 is important to mention is that, um, we have, uh, from our experience, we've um, we've seen that usually when you let's say talk to the leadership around education and, and, and so on, is that they would usually refer you to the schools, like go and deal with the schools and so on. I see that there is a need for uh digital transformation to also happen at the management level not only the administration and these you know um, school teachers and and the learners and so on but in terms of also you know collecting the right data for example for decision making is very uh, crucial and also digitizing education processes including the workflows how work is done from the administration side uh, sorry from the management side because at many times you find that Schools will complain of certain things that uh, that they in the system there is bottlenecks too many bottlenecks when it let's say maybe they do a submission for something uh, from the school level when it gets to the management and the leadership level things then slows down. So integrations of AI and other uh, tools, um, you know, that can help to you know uh, uh, to make the system more efficient um, uh, would, would greatly, uh, I, I think, uh, be the next uh, things that. Uh, Will be crucial on the continent, uh, other than just on the teaching and learning side. Yeah.
1: Right. Thank you so much, Evelyn. You've highlighted a critical part, which is data, because data is so so important for improving education on on the continent, and that's one key area that you know we can see rapid disruption in, and that AI can also play key part, especially being able to help you know government make data driven decisions on on various education aspects. Thank you for that, Kiko.
4: Um, so we we only to agree that traditional ways of learning and teaching have, have failed terribly, um, and and so here is where we have in a one a one size fits all where we dictate that um, all students are taught at the same speed using the same resources and the same manner, and and this has always resulted to decline in literacy literacy and numeracy. Uh, but there's a huge benefit of these frontier technologies like the large language models assisting in terms of. Um, curating personalized learning experience for students, which have really proven to assist students to be able to master the curriculum concepts that they're actually doing. If it's about adaptive learning, where we're actually uh, giving students resources at the right level where they are comprehending and giving teachers um, interventions on how to teach at the right at the right level. Um, but they, I think it's it's now getting higher beyond adaptation to what we are seeing um in terms of generation of content and assessments and i think um, really um these large language models think about open ai i hope they stay afloat uh, despite what happened over the weekend and what other people are actually actually building in terms of assisting because we you know content generation and, and really to have good adaptive systems you need huge data sets um of resources would it be um less or not would it be like lesson plans for the teachers could it be like assessments and and these to achieve these manually is, is pretty much impossible um and and so if we can really see a lot of adoption of these models um to support um the generation of these resources then would we'll be in the right track of really showing that personalized learning um can actually be fully adopted and we can actually show um, the effectiveness of, uh, of how it's going to support learning and growth, uh, growth for the students. I think earlier on, I just mentioned, the thing is um, about the hallucination and the biases that we all seen from um, these resources that have been generated, but as we usually say, Rome was not built in one day. Um, and, and so I think on for African context, it calls for, again, we don't control these large language models, but then there's an opportunity for developers in this continent to, open-source they're actually working on. Um, interestingly, at Angaza Elim, we've actually open-source some of the uh, models that we've been actually been building out for uh, developing assessments. And we really calling in terms of these ecosystems and communities to come together and contribute so that we can actually have homegrown um, open-source solutions that are actually supporting generation of content, that actually supporting um, adaptation of learning and teaching. That we can really ensure that there's that good growth and solutions that we actually know that they're actually working. So we we don't keep this whole behavior of going and copying resources from other continents. Sorry to say that for those who might be from other continents, but uh, definitely let's build things that we believe are actually working for uh, for our context. And and definitely um, we're gonna see good um, good good growth because because there's evidence that. Adaptive and personalized learning works in and out of the classroom. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Kiko. Thank you, Sebulon. Thank you, Dr. Chika. So, I know we have some comments in the chat section. I'll just go through it quickly. I know there are also some questions. Um, Kirimi, I read your comment. There's a session coming up after this panel session, and I think that it's a perfect point to discuss uh, sustainability and affordability of these solutions because. Uh, how many people can pay for it, and how do we ensure that the solutions and the businesses stay float? and because this is also important when it comes to investors, you know, wanting to put money into into edtech businesses. So we'll touch on that because I'm also looking at our time. Um, I think I can also see Anjala. Anjala talked about the fact that she remembers in Namibia, we're talking about introducing Swahili. She would love to know Swahili. Angela, I'm sure there's there are different platforms where you can learn it, or perhaps you connect to some some Kenyans or East Africans, and they can help you uh, learn that faster. But this there's this question here from Claudius Mango, and um, he says, "Oh yeah, the question is hello, um, a question for the panelists, and it would be great to just hear quickly your thoughts, Kiko and Semilon, and Dr. Chika as well. If you have have any thoughts on this, quickly." Is what is your view on simulation based learning and its use in teaching practical skills? So, practical skills here, I'm assuming as well, could, in, could involve everything from just teaching about pure science concepts through experiments or teaching even vocational skills, for instance, right? Um, so, I'm working on a simulation based learning solution and would love to hear that. With you. Sabilan, let we start from you. Your thoughts?
3: Um my view on uh, simulation is really something that should be promoted and you know and uh, I, I highly appreciate the work that uh, she's doing and looking forward to hear what she's she's really working on uh, when her product is finally out um what I've uh, you know experienced in, in in Namibia is that um the, you'd find that some teachers for example who, or educators will have very difficult uh time explaining uh you know critical uh, uh parts of the curriculum. And and especially when it's really involving practical aspects, and and we've seen that uh, simulations works very very well. And there is uh, limited resources when it comes to that. It's, it's very effective. Um, even the slowest learners in class, uh, we've seen that uh, usually they get to see in, in, you know these visualizations and 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 so on. So uh, I'd really say that uh, uh, it's something that that the continent needs, and we need more of that. And uh, especially when it uh, addressing uh, our local context.
4: Thanks, everyone. Kiko? Um, I would just echo what David has said. I mean, um, we we also I'll give an example of a kind context like in secondary schools where some schools actually don't have science laboratories. I mean, they see some of these equipment that they're actually sitting for their national examinations. And, and this really um, is, 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 is an injustice to them, uh, but then, Simulations would come in quite handy um, for them to actually see how these projects can actually be done, and I think even beyond that, beyond the aspect of um, infrastructure, then really simulations, as just from the name, we simulate a lot of um, different learning senses that we do have, and we all know about the neuroscience or how the brain works, and and these would actually uh, have really been proved to be crucial in terms of assisting in um, how students actually master and grow into specific concepts because so they can actually see um, and internalise that and actually when they come to actually do it helps them to really master and, and, and remember what they're actually doing so it's, it's one way a cost effective way of teaching and learning and also promoting grow up, um, the minds of the students um, so excited about what, what they're actually doing and keen to see what they achieve great
1: thank you Kiko, Dr Chika any thoughts on that?
5: Um, yes, it is very very nice that because some some of the materials we need, especially when we are doing robotics, it's very expensive. And if you use simulation, it helps a lot because with that you are not spoiling what you're building. You are trying to first of all make it effective and not try to see if it can. work. It's only the only um low side of it is that sometimes you finish if to finish working as a simulated environment in a simulated environment, and when you move it to real life, then you have to start afresh to do some work. But the most important thing is that. You have gotten the idea of what you want to do. So it's, it's Africa. That's the way forward, actually.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Chica. I think just to add a little bit there, uh, Claudius, is that simulations can be quite, um, can require a lot of effort and time to build. And so if that's something that your startup is focused on, it would be important to think of a very interesting, you know, niche use case area that you can see. Quick adoption for, and that you also have paying customers. So before, for instance, you build a simulation that is helping at secondary level, because you need a lot of those simulations to begin to even be in business, right, at all at the secondary level, because there are a lot of experiments. It might be great to apply it to certain use cases. An example, an example could be one that uh, Dr. Chika has talked about, or even to formal or informal skills or T Um, Tibet areas particularly can also be an interesting application depending on when you look at the landscape in the country where you're going to be kicking off from and seeing what is the best area to deploy that you can build, you know, one solution for and you can quickly get users and paying users because simulations take quite a lot and require quite a lot of technical talent and and funding to be able to to build for. So that would be um, my feedback on that. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Kiko. Thank you, Sebilon. Thank you so much, Dr. Chica, for your time. I think it's been an absolutely insightful conversation, and we're so happy that you were able to make it. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. So Thank I think you. we'll go to the next one, just after our panel session. Thank we you. have our colleague on the call, Rofem. Egwe, Rofam is going to be talking to us about the investment landscape uh, in edtech on the continent. Rofam, and then I'll just be having a quick chat with him as well on this. And this, this ties really to the money component of things, guys, because at the end of the day, it's really great for us to speak all of these great things when it has to do with edtech, but if the startups are not making money, uh, they are unable to attract investors, and if we don't have investment, we're not able to scale and build really, really great and amazing solutions. So Ruffem is going to be talking to us about that. Ruffem, over to you.
2: All right. Um, thank you, Nithi. Um, Good day, everyone. And um really excited to be talking to um, a lot of people across the continent about uh, the investment opportunity in edtech. Uh, the, we all... Um, are passionate about edtech um, which is why we're on this call and uh, we tend to see this also happening in the venture capital space and what we realize is that the conversations around edtech and the results are entirely different so over the next uh, few minutes i'm going to tell you about what's happening in the edtech space and how we at the investments team at cc hub are um, thinking about it uh, so just before we begin i'd um, like to tell you bit more about um, the African technology ecosystem. So um, last few years, particularly um, between 2021 and 2022, there has been significant interest in the technology space on the continent. Uh, This Kick started um around some sometime between 2018 and 2019 when several um, African startups are getting into accelerators like Y Combedito and raising significant rounds and by 2021 um it seemed like um, the venture capital space in Africa was uh skyrocketing uh, with startups raising over 5 billion. Um, it did decline a bit in 2022, um, with startups raising about 4.9 billion. Um, we are yet to see what the numbers would look like in 2023, but we tend to expect the numbers to be lower because of certain macroeconomic conditions. But there are certain changes that we've seen in the market that we probably did not expect before now. Um, things like startups IPO in. So, um, we started with Jumia in, in the early days, and we started having startups like Swivel and, and Ferrari um IPO. And we believe that startups like Flutterwave um would achieve that startup soon. Uh, with guys like Paystack also um getting them, like being acquired. Now, why did um the technology space in um Africa take off? Um, it's because of several factors. The one being that the African economy has been growing um, over the last decade. Um, twenty between twenty. 20- 10 and 2015, that, that could have been seen as the era of Africa rising, right? Then they are also like setting fundamentals that have been encouraging the growth of technology. I mean, like rising literacy, um, having a young demography that is uh, growing and also coming online. Uh, we also have like enabling government policies, whether it's in Nigeria, whether it's in Senegal, Rwanda, Namibia. Governments have been very interested in getting people online and getting people um, to, um, and getting technology startups to emerge from their ecosystem. Then we've had better infrastructure, better, um, more, um, better infrastructure than we've seen um, in the 90s and um, the 2000s, which have allowed um, technology startups to uh, penetrate uh, across the continent. There are things like device access and um, the fact that there are people like us um, building hubs and entrepreneurial support systems to build the entrepreneurs um, across the various sectors, right? And one thing we've seen is that um, funding has gone largely to the biggest economies on the continent. Uh, Nigeria leading the way with um, South Africa, Egypt and Kenya also having um, significant uh, fundraising um, track record. There's also Ghana being a notable mention um, with um, countries like Senegal and um, Tunisia all um, being notable mentions too. And um, before now, uh, or before the um 2015s 2016s, a lot of the funding actually used to go to most of Africa, um, with Kenya being like a um strong, uh, a strong uh market for technology. But what we're seeing is that te- technology space has aligned kind of with the uh macroeconomic conditions of the continent, and we can also see this with the number of deals that have been done on the continent. Nigeria leading the way, uh, with Egypt and Kenya following. But we now look deeply into what is being funded. Um, If you wake anyone up in the technology ecosystem, ask them what sectors do investors typically like, uh, they will tell you FinTech. Uh, This has been the case for the last uh, three, four years. Uh, In the early days, it used to be e-commerce, a lot of agriculture. Um, But the funny thing is that almost every investor has EdTech as a thesis that they're willing to invest in. But from the numbers we're seeing that um, in 2021, EdTech received just about 6% of the amount of money that came into the ecosystem, while that number declined in 2022. Now, when we look deeply at EdTech, uh, EdTech numbers have kind of um, moved, um, have uh, oscillated. Um, over the years, they kind of are in line with um, the changes in the technology ecosystem. Um, so if you um, overlay the this graph with the graph of the funding ecosystem, you kind of see like similar trends. But one thing that we've seen is that, um, in particular in Trend Trends 1, is that there, were, there were a lot of raises by startups like Antella and Eulesson and, uh, and Etukoya, but these um, raises were not consist- consistent over the years. So when we look at what segments are being funded by VCs, the um the largest segment that receives funding typically in recent years has been um, formal skills, particularly digital skills absolutely with coding. So Andela raising a huge chunk of funding that goes to um, what we would term as educational ed tech. Uh, K 12 education kind of receives um, a lot of funding compared to like every other sector. Uh, but when you look at the quantum of funding compared to digital skills, it's being dwarfed. But the irony of it is that um, the number of deals in the case of trust space are way larger. Then, when we begin to consider the type of um, technology, particularly from an immersion perspective, we see that um, non immersive um, technology, so text based technology, non animated videos. Tend to receive more funding, which um, could either mean that there are more solutions like that, or um, or that they uh, that that is what the level of talent in the market can build. So um, while there's a um, a craze around AR VR, we are we barely see any type of funding going to that space, and that could also be attributed to the fact that the continents might not be ready for that type of technology. But um, we also see that non-immersive technology like and 3D animations aren't really as um, popular compared to um, text-based animation, um, text-based and non-animated videos. Then, uh, when it comes to funding by gender, um, just like with every other aspect of technology, uh, male-only startups tend to raise more money than. Uh, um, startups with at least one female co-founder and again um, the irony of this is that with education you have more women um, working in this sector statistically than men. and also when when you think about it when you think back to uh, your teachers and the people who you dealt with in the school system, you can think about more women right but when but um, well, when you look at who's who's building and who's raising, um, tends to be more men. So um, it also now boils down to the fact that there aren't as many educational professionals, um, education professionals, um, building ethics tech solutions. So we talked about like what's been happening, um, there, is, there are a number of challenges that um, we see in the education space. Like it's no brainer. There are a lot of structural issues that we see today. The government is not spending enough on education. There are not enough teachers um, in uh compared to the amount of students that we need. We don't have the right infrastructure. And as well as our, our curriculum being outdated, and um there have been like a high dropout rates in certain countries and lack of connectivity and smart device penetration. Uh but if we look at these structural issues in isolation or as the main issues with education, we will tend to lose sight of a major uh, of some major trends. They're actually impacting the ability for um, students today to go into through, um, through system, through the educational system and come out um, as well de- developed um, students. So, um, in Africa today, we face a lot of issues like learning loss as a result of either conflicts in um, different regions or epidemics like the um, Ebola um, epidemic and the coronavirus. There's also the fact that learners are not. As engaged as they could be, right? Which results in like poor learning outcomes. Then, when you see solutions that are being introduced to students, uh, they typically are built by people who are not domiciled on the continent, or not built for um, learners on the continent. So they do not have um the pedagogies that are relevant for um what we um for the learners today, right? Then we also have the bit of whereby um, there's a widening skills gap between um Africans and the rest of the world, as well as the fact that like the different um, stakeholders are not collaborating. Now, for us, we think that technology um has a major way of creating multiplier effects for improving the experience of learners as well as the outcomes they um they gain from. Actually, um, going through this education system, and when we look at like the the whole IQ framework of digital capabilities, uh, it's a very good way for framework for thinking about how we can invest in education. So, um, one being um, life um, tools for life readiness, so skills that allow individuals to be well developed for a modern workforce. The other bit is Linux Linux experience. Ensuring that we're improving the way learners consume information and improve outcomes. The other bit is learning design. So, how do we help the people who are building, um, who are crafting this experience for um, users and um, our learners, and help them help them achieve their goals? Then, the final bit or the final framework in which we are um, we think would be great is thinking about the people's and systems. So, how do we improve learning environments? How do we improve um, the systems in which you're operating? And there are various. Um, layers of education that we can look at. We can look at education from the um, from the various education levels, whether it's K-12, K 12 or tertiary education. Uh, there's all opportunities in um, emerging spaces like um, foundational literacy and numeracy, as well as STEAM education. Uh, we also are very keen about immersive and adaptive learning, um, which is a, um, a major um, space that we see as, uh, as we see as we see as um, Technology evolves, and the tools available for us um, serving learners evolves. Um, one major bit that we that we're very interested on in is teacher support and digital teacher pedagogies. Teachers are often overlooked when it comes to building edtech solutions. And when you look at um at the way in which um, learners interact every um every day, they typically would involve would involve a teacher in some form of shape. Uh, We're also keen on solutions that are improving an, um, analytics and assessments, as well as privacy and security because considering that you have children online, uh, as well as in, um, interoperability and connectivity. So, how do we ensure that all of these systems are, are not speaking, to, uh, are not operating in isolation, but also speaking to themselves? So, how are we going to do this over the next few um Months and years, we're actually going to be doubling down on the work that we've done in education. So, as we began this um, panel, um, Nisi um, talked, to, um, talked to us through the work that CCF has been doing in education. Now, we're taking three pillars um, to solve this problem or to um, tackle this problem. The first bit is building um inclusive ecosystem, a um, tech ecosystem, which starts with finding evidence working with um, stakeholders, um, such as teachers, teacher unions, governments, and then also building a community practice of um, users, right? Then the next bit that we're doing and um, we've been doing for the last 12 months is building a pipeline. So over the next three years, we'll be investing in about 72 um, promising edtech startups in Dainter and Kenya, uh, where we'll be providing them with 100K equity-free funding, as well as support um, when it comes to product design, learning science, and uh, distribution. Then the final layer to it is bringing in more funding for education. And we're in the process of um, raising a $50 million subsurround etech fund. Um, a huge part of this will be focused on foundational literacy and numeracy, and it's anchored by a major philanthropy. And um, this will be patient capital with the ability to follow on to um, support startups beyond just the pre seed and seed stage. But we're also looking to build a Um, a community of co-investors, including global edtech investors, as well as impact and strategic um, investors. So that's, um, in a nutshell, is what we are, um, the investments landscape uh, when it comes to edtech and how um, we are CCFC opportunities and the way to tackle it. Uh, Nisi?
1: Thank you so much Rofem, for that, I think that that has been, it was interesting to see the comment about, you know, learning a lot and it's very insightful. I think, I know we have such a short time, so I'll just ask you one question. And my question is about um, when it comes to, this is titled the comment you saw in the chat, around sustainability and how, and, and the numbers, and how that is of interest to investors, right? And might also be part of the reason why we're not seeing as much traction uh, for funding in this space. Of course, it's part of the work that Sissipop is doing to ensure that we can have space. But what would your advice be to edtech tech startup founders who are building their solutions, are thinking about ensuring that it's sustainable, that the numbers make sense, so that they can raise you know, uh, funding from, from investors? What would your advice be to them with that?
2: So, uh- the biggest challenge with ethics startups in the last few years has been that they've been building to optimize for scaling quickly. But it shows that good tech products that um, attract and retain users are the ones that are um holistic and well-worth. They're um, good um, user in, uh, experience and um interaction, right? Then the other bit is um thinking about who pays and how they pay. Uh Right now in Africa, we are um, we believe that the only scalable business model for education is working with uh, is the B two C, particularly in the private space. Right, um, but new emerging new business models have emerged. And from our conversations with um, global tech investors, we've seen that there are um that there are new there we talk, um before ethics startups be globally competitive, let's start thinking about new lines. So, like how do you work with governments, how do you work with um large um, school systems, right? COVID, certainly beyond just the adoption of um or ethics solutions during that period, we've seen that governments are a lot more interested in incorporating technology in how s- schools operate and how um, and how um, um, teachers function. So it's not being afraid to explore new business models, right? Uh, but then also building robust solutions that can actually uh, not just attract but also retain the, the learners. Thank you so much,
1: um I think just looking at time, that would be all. That would be the only question that I would ask you on this. But if we have any more questions, I'm sure um, Rafa. I think if we can, you can share your screen or type in the comment section, uh, contact, or anyone who wants to reach out to us. If you're building something amazing anywhere on the continent in edtech, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear about your solution, and would also love to provide whatever support it is that we can. To ensure that that solution is effective and you know it can scale or even get the funding that it requires. Aida, uh, I'm handing over to you at this point. I think that it has been an interesting uh, conversation here.
0: Superb. Um, every time I listen about education in Africa, I'm always inspired. I wish I would have diverted. Um, my mom is a primary school teacher. I always tell people this and every time I speak to her about how much education as a world uh, within the continent, she's always amazed, right? Um, And I think it's something that we need to continuously have Conversations about see what's happening within the continent and how we can support, and that's the work that we've been doing at CC Hub, right? Um, over the past what six years, um, we've really been supporting uh, the education sector, education solutions within the continent, and we are hoping that we'll continue to do this for a very long, long time. So, I want to take this opportunity to, tang- to thank our moderator, Nisi. This has been quite insightful. Thank you, thank you so much. A round of applause for Nisi. You can use your you know emojis, um, and also for the for the panelists Kiko, um, Sebulon, fem as well, and Chika. It's been quite amazing to have you here. Um, Olio, we've shared your LinkedIn so people can chat to you. Please engage with them. It's much much easier. We haven't shared your email addresses so that people don't spam you. But um, you'll see some few. You know direct messages on LinkedIn, uh, and we are hoping that we'll have to continue seeing you more and more here. So as you can see, my colleagues have been putting our, um, first number one, our social media, please interact with our social medias. Um, that is CC Hub um, on, Uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and um, Instagram as well. And we'd also want feedback from you. We want to have more conversations, more insightful topics, and we want to hear from you. We want to um, explore these conversations further than what we've done. And coming into the new year, we want to improve them, right? We always say that these conversations are never linear, right? And we want to continue evolving with the times, right? So we hope that you're going to give us Um, as much feedback as possible. We've put the feedback link on the chat. Please take your time. Give us the feedback. We want to hear from you. We want to work with you. And, you know, um, we couldn't do this without you, um, especially your audience. So please, please, please do give us our please, please give us um, feedback. So that said, um, I'll just mention this. We'll also be announcing our second um, application for the MasterCard Foundation EdTech Fellowship Program. So follow us on social media. I see some very good people here that would benefit from the... Um, from the program. So look out for that call. We want to see amazing solutions. We want to continue supporting. As Rofem has said, you know, um, we are looking to giving 100k um, equity-free funding, a lot of support within product, uh, distribution, talent and investment. So please, please, please make sure that you interact with us, share it with your colleagues, share it with your friends and make sure that they apply for the program. Um, Again, my colleagues are just insisting that we are not seeing anything on... We're not seeing people interacting with our Mentimeter for feedback. Please do give us feedback, just a few. It takes like five seconds to give us feedback. So just give us feedback, interact with our social media handles as well. Um, The, the hashtag for this event was what's next Tech. Please continue chatting. Please continue giving us as much you know, insights, what you've gained from the conversation and how we can continue to improve. So thank you so, so much. I'll still continue to insist. Please give us feedback. You will receive an email from my colleagues as well on the same for feedback and also anything that you'd want to interact with CC Hub about. So thank you so much, so much, everyone. And it's been an insightful and amazing conversation. To the panelists, Rofem, Nisi, again, Uh, we can't thank you enough. So thank you so much, everyone, and have a great evening ahead. Goodbye.